Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. Irit Ezips here from CSM Practice. A couple of months ago, I think it was like June 2022, I was invited to be a judge at the Customer Success Excellence Awards for 2022 in EMEA. The winner of the Customer Success Rising Star is here with me today. This woman is phenomenal. Not only did she not have any idea about what customer success is, she took on the role to start the customer success function at her company. The company was turning from consulting company to a software company. And within, what, less than a year and a half, she managed to have 97% retention rate, 80 NPS score, accolades from her peers, from her board, get promoted to a director, and all of that while having, what was he, like a, a half year, like a six months old? <laughs> yeah, six months old. The part? Yeah. And he's yeah. now, she has a two-year-old boy. Like, okay, it's not a girl, it's a boy. Wild. So- <laughs> Absolutely wild. <laughs> wild, I know, because I had girls that were so calm. So she has a toddler at home. And I wanted to make this video because I think we all want to know, how the hell did you do that? How did you pull this off? So stay tuned. All the answers to those questions are coming up. And I want you to watch this video because A, to see what is possible. How did you pull this off so that you could also strive to become one day an award-winning customer success professional? Hi, Mel. I love your first name. It's actually Melissa, right? Yeah. Tell me about that. Where did you get that name? What's the source? Yeah, sure. So Melisande ending in A-N-D-E is a French name. And my parents were watching a film called The Flight of Dragons when I was born. I am Chinese, kind of a year of birth is, is a dragon. So the Princess Melisande, my parents really liked the name, thought it would suit if they had a little girl. But they just wanted to change the ending because my mum's Chinese to a Chinese ending. So they removed the NDE at the end and made a, a double A and an M to make it a bit more Asian. So uh, yeah, very unique name. So hopefully I, I do it justice in my time. <laughs> I think so. Do you think that some of your heritage and the way you brought up is what got you to be here? By the way, this is the second award that you are being awarded. Can you tell me a little bit about that, your background and what helped you be where you are today? I'm a big believer in diversity and looking at everybody as as very unique. We all go through our own special set of circumstances that lead us through life, go through our own experiences that no one else understands. I mean, even your own mother doesn't see exactly what you get up to in life. But for me, I had a, a very good grounding in terms of family. Both my parents worked a lot. They worked from home. My mum was actually an immigrant from Malaysia. So she'd traveled at the age, the big old age of 18 across the world to the UK to set up her life here and, and nurse here. And for me, having a foundation with a family that's so ingrained in working hard also demonstrated to me the realm of possibility, but also that you should enjoy it. So that's something that I've very much brought to life throughout my career. I wanted to do something where I felt I was having an impact and that I would enjoy playing to strengths rather than your weaknesses, because ultimately that's where you're going to be happier. 
In your career, you never planned to be a customer success professional. In fact, you have a certification and I think employee experience. Yeah. So I grew up, I say, in in operational management. So I did a a degree in business, led a team in a telephony center, call center management, which anyone that's been in telephony, you know that that's the holy grail of management because you'll go through everything, every kind of experience you could imagine. But from there, what I found myself doing was trying to connect people more than anything. And so I moved into internal communications, employee engagement, really loved that area of work because I could see the difference I was having on on people directly, was able to join what wasn't WorkBuzz then, but Smith & Henderson, our consultancy on the side of the bench where I'd, I'd go and tell other clients what they need to do to change and improve their employee experience, get a load of professionalism under my belt as well, be a member of, you know, CIPR. And here we have the Institute of Internal Communications learning everything there. But then as we grew our business, from Smith & Henderson to WorkBuzz, went through transformation. My CEO is always one to challenge me, and rightly so. He, he spots my strengths and, and knows that I can do more. So it gave me a bit of a push to say, I think you need to try this client success stuff, this customer success. How can we adapt what we're doing now and take all the best parts of, of what we're doing here in the consultancy world, but be platform first? Well, I think it's amazing that you took it on because your entire career was lined up to me, this employee experience, and you actually won the CIPR Excellence Award. So your career was basically lined up to be just an expert in your field. Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, what I'm wise enough to know is that as long as you're adapting your skills and your strengths and learning more, it's good for you as a person. It doesn't mean that I would never go back to internal communications or engagement, but it adds more strings to my bow, which is is brilliant to have and ultimately has, has moved the business forward. And I've liked it more than I thought I would <laughs> in terms of learning the whole CS space. So it's, it's been really useful. And there's so many similarities. That's so awesome. I love how you said uh, adding strengths to your bows. And I think that's a really healthy approach to work because we always encourage everybody to take on a little bit more than their job description. And in fact, I would say almost everybody that won the customer success award or was a shortlisted candidate, all of them have done well beyond what the call of duty is. They all stepped outside their comfort zone. But yours really shined through because not only did you not have any experience, which all the rising stars didn't, you actually were able to take the company through a significant shift, even in the business, and set up a customer success program that was effective. So before we go into all of that, the CEO approaches you and he says, hey, Mel, we need to get this done because we're turning into a software company and we need somebody to take this on. You say yes. What are the first things that you do in the first 90 days? What have you done to just you know, get your hands wrapped around this thing. Learn. That was really, really important to where we were um, in terms of where did we want to be? Where were we now? And learning what the gap was to get there. How did you learn? What I love about the CS community is how open everybody is and how keen to share. So I remember one of the first things I did was dial into a, like an, a short networking event where I had one-to-one sessions with a lot of CS practitioners which just spending about 15 minutes with different people gave me so many ideas about what I needed to change or or tweak about what we were currently doing, but also 
what other materials were out there. They gave me hints and pointers. I was able to go on LinkedIn. I mean, there's there's so many people on LinkedIn that have some great thoughts and ideas around CS that you can just pick what you like, ignore what you don't like. But also that in itself is a key part of the learning. Not everything that people put out will work for you immediately. So I had to discount certain things, but also the things that would make the biggest difference start to implement as soon as possible. There's so much webinar good content there's Sastar University that everyone can dial into get their free resources CSM practice but one thing that really helped shape my thinking was a maturity model that I think was a collaboration between Churn Zero and Hyalogic that really helped me see the art of the possible in CS but almost also explained to my investors, my board and my CEO that we were nowhere near the end of that maturity model. So we needed to just get the basics right first and just get our first foot on the first part of the ladder. So there's been a lot of materials that I was using just to build that vision. I love that you've used a maturity model to communicate to the board, what is your vision, where are you headed and where are you now? So that there's a framework, there's a reference point that is outside of your own perspective. It's a it's a vernacular that are offered by a third party that are experts in the field. Yes. It takes a lot of the pressure of, if you're new to this, yeah. like myself, demonstrates that you're listening to those expert voices and it makes them trust that you know where to find the information, which I definitely. Okay. So you learned a lot. You define sort of like a map or roadmap for the board of directors based on that maturity model. What did you tackle the first three months after you had some sort of a roadmap that you wanted to go through? What were the things that you were picking to do that you think really helped make you accelerate the process in which you set up the customer success program and make it so effective? Yeah. So for me, I ended up reducing it down to strategic levers. I call them things that I needed to really focus on and the things to pull. And there were items underneath them all in terms of sharing. I've got a slide on it. So these were, first of all, the levers in terms of transformation. To enable us to scale, the first thing that I started with was team growth. What I was very conscious of is where we were at the start of our CS journey was that we hadn't got any CSMs in, really. We'd had really good consultants, account managers, but what I needed was more purist CSMs. But at that stage of growth, we also didn't have necessarily the budgets to hire in people that had years of experience doing it. So for me, it was team growth, but looking at those foundational elements and key skills that I needed within the team to to help us grow. So that really started me recruiting and finding the right people. Were you looking specifically for folks with customer success experience? I was very much open to it, but let's just say... It wasn't a high priority? It was a nice to have, but just knowing the budget that we were putting out there in the field and that CS as a practice in in the UK, it's not as seasoned here as it is in the US and the States and, and other places. What I was looking for were, were people that I could mold, people that would add to the weaknesses I have in terms of my skills and, and abilities and experience. I've, I've never sold anything. So the commercial mindset was really important to me. Skills like account management and managing on mass were things that would be new to us. So looking for people that had done that in whatever role existed and, and could hit the ground running with our clients. We're an HR platform. So we speak to HR practitioners that are lovely people, but what you need to do is is build those bonds and relationships with them. So that to us is is ultimate. That culture fit has to work as well. Love it. So you were looking people that 
could build a trusted advisory report with your customers because they have a, maybe a similar background. You are also looking for folks that would have a cultural fit to your organization. Big words. I don't know how you did it. I'm not an HR person. I guess you're, you're the person to ask how you do it. But I really liked one thing that you said was, I don't have a certain skill set. So I am going to, or in my current team, we don't have a certain skill set. Let me hire people that can complement that. I don't think enough customer success team managers do that, where they map out all the skills. What do I already have abundance of? What do I need that I don't have enough of? And then recruit people to meet the team's overall needed skills. Absolutely. I completely agree. It's odd that we will do a gap analysis for strategy and where we need to be in terms of business numbers, but not look at that within ourselves, our own strengths and weaknesses. And for me, it goes further than just necessarily skills, but also personality types. Because our clients are so diverse, you need to have a balance of people within your team that can bring different things to the table and engage in different ways. Okay. So That's the first thing you tackled. And then there's like four other things. So what are the other things that you tackle? And if you could don't mind kind of like sharing the timeline of, you know, how long did things take you? So the team growth, when did you first put your first job description out there on, I guess, indeed.com or LinkedIn or whatever? We would have put the job descriptions out around February, March. We moved quite quickly. So the team started on the 4th of May, so May the 4th. They're my Jedis, I call them. May the 4th be with you. So it worked really nicely. And initially, in terms of the two CSMs that I onboarded as purist CSMs at that point, they are still with me today and, and doing a sterling job with their clients. So it happened quite quickly. But ultimately, it was a, we need you in place now, but we've got to learn this together. We've got to evolve this together. And I'm a big believer in working as a team to come up with a solution. So first things first was team foundation in place. And then what we did was was move through the other spoke of this wheel. At this point, it's now about a year, no, almost like, yeah, I would say a year and a half since you were recruited for this job. So January, you got hired, you learned a lot. February, you put on the first job description, interviewed in March. And by the end of April, beginning of May, you already had a team of two. Yeah. At this point, do you have like a CSM onboarding process now that it's been a year and a half? No, but luckily being in the X space, we're quite good at onboarding and induction. I I take a lot of pride in my induction. I um, bet. Making sure we work, we work through a, a quite a module approach. So what it meant was I could take the induction approach I had for my consultants, account managers in the past, and revisit it with okay a, a CS focus in terms of what the areas of the platform they'll be using. What do I need them to really upskill in? What are the gaps that we don't have, and how do we learn that together? Interesting. Okay. So you brought the team up. What are the things then you did from a strategic standpoint? Because I want to remind the audience. You started in January and it's now July, 2022, and it's barely 18 months. You were able to score from an NPS standpoint, you got an 80 score and over 97% net retention rate. What's the magic? What else did you do to make this happen so quickly? And oh, by the way, the company grew from 95 customers to over 250 customers in that time span. Yeah. We, we don't do things by halves at workers. We are very ambitious and we're, we're very um, <laughs> very agile, which is, is wonderful. It's, it's a great place to be at this point. For me, it was about, first of all, 
knowing our strength was was probably already our NPS and the depth of relationships that we had with customers. Our culture at Smith and Henderson slash WorkBuzz in, in the early days before we had a platform was always very client centric. We will share a very similar set of values here around we will shift heaven and earth to get things done for our clients out of passion and doing the right thing, making sure we meet our promises. And if things fail, things do go wrong, picking up together. And I'm very glad that we'd built that culture as a team. So it was key to keep that and embed that as we had more CSMs grow and, and join us. That has been really critical. But then the other spokes that we worked through. So I think the one that most relates to that is the refreshing customer journeys piece. So we always knew that we had these strong relationships, but in moving from a consultancy model to more of a SaaS platform first practice, what we needed to do was look at how we were treating clients and those touch points throughout their journey and completely rip up the playbook and start again and look at it over a longer term perspective. We have annually renewing contracts, so it makes it quite a simple process to to keep forming with them, fits quite nicely with, with how we were running things in the past, but it meant that we needed to segment our clients a bit better, look at those touch points, what could be done, because we can't always treat all clients alike. That's life in, in CS, sadly. But how do you make sure that they have those aha moments and that you're checking at the right points and keeping that magic alive? Yeah, tell me a little bit about that aha moment, because it was actually pointed out in the judge entry for your award. And I was thinking, huh, how is this company thinking about aha moments? And what? how does that translate to the customer journey? What mainly changed for you to think about it from the intent of delivering aha moments? I think it was for me mapping those in a way where I could just see them more visibly. I think we always knew about aha moments, but we didn't necessarily brand them. As in, for for me, there's two aha moments in terms of our our platform kind of first approach. The first one, for us, it isn't about onboarding. It's about getting their first survey, their first employee listening program live. A client that's just launched a survey and then all the organization is going, oh, what's that survey about? Oh, have you seen this? This looks really good. Or, oh, I answered that question. Did you answer it? That's an aha moment for our client's experience. It's not so much what went in before because that's all just administration for them. That's them demonstrating their value to the organization and showing them, look, I've delivered this and you didn't even necessarily see that it was going on and everyone loves it. Everyone can answer it and they're enjoying doing this. That's one critical moment for us. And then the second part is once an employee listening program closes, just as important is the reporting side. So when leaders, managers, HR see the reports and gather the feedback, read it, they go, aha, because all of a sudden it's much simpler to the reports that they had access to in the past. It's faster. Whatever that looks like for that client, how do you make sure that that is delivered to expectation or above expectation? Yeah. And so you have one aha moment for the HR practitioner and another for the HR executive sponsor, when you had to design that and you were thinking, oh my gosh, I have to define what those aha moments are. Was it like February? Who did you call and say, hey, we need to define this? Because it was kind of obvious from your judge entry to the CS award that this wasn't just you in a bubble, that you've actually done this in collaboration. So who did you call to that conversation and made sure you actually pinpoint the right ones? Always my team. The people that work directly with the clients always have the best value to add in terms of what the customer journey looks like and what the customers are niggling at and what they really love or or hate. So speaking more to the team about when have they had those kind of 
good, great conversations with their clients? When have they had their own aha moments as in I as an employee have done my job, pat on my back. It translates through directly to that client experience because my team, once a survey goes live, they will breathe a sigh of relief because they go, it's gone live. It's all going fine. We're getting responses. Brilliant. Because up until that point, so many things can go awry and you just don't know until things go live. So that's a critical moment for them. And that was really helpful. And then the same when it comes to presenting results back to an exec team, we would always get quite good feedback around, oh, that's really interesting. That's helped us figure out what we need to achieve next, what we need to change about ourselves, or sometimes challenge their thinking about things that they had never realized about their own organization. Once you define those aha moments and you refresh the customer journey, and I assume that one's like around summer because you only had your team in May. Yeah. Have you seen immediate change or what was the impact you're starting to see on the work that you do with customers? For us, that refresh of customer journeys was all about that other one at the top here about increasing adoption. And with that refreshing of customer journeys, we tried to make sure that it was more seamless. It was not as reliant on us to do things for the clients, that white glove service that they had become very used to, which can feel really uncomfortable if you've been doing it a really long time to feel like you're taking away services from a client. But it's about giving them the ability to do things for themselves and increasing that adoption. So because we had the ability to, for some clients, enable them to self-serve, adopt the platform themselves, for them, it it was some we had resistance with. So it takes coaching and time and the right conversations. Some you need to find the right stakeholder to do that with. But others, they just felt so much more enabled just to go and, and do things rather than feel like they needed to come and ask for the help themselves. So that that was really quite useful. This is really impressive. All of that you've done in like literally six months, you hired the team, you redefined the customer journey to proactive one, you redefined the segmentations, you aligned the journeys with specific customer cohorts. So it's more customer centric. And oh, by the way, with that, you increased adoption with intent because now you can sort of be the coach for the customer on what do they need to focus on instead of asking the customer what they want. You can actually make recommendations because you've already defined what did other customers get a major aha moment and you can coach your customers as to you know, what should they be doing first and second, et cetera. As if this is not enough, you've also <laughs> created a voice of a customer and a community. Tell me about that. And was that part of improving your CS tech stack? Do you consider your online community part of the changes to the stack? And I love that you, by the way, you thought about it as a stack versus let me just get a customer success software. So when did you start socializing, hey, we need a technology? And did you first bring the tech stack recommendations to the board or to your executive team and then went ahead and purchased them? Like, what was the process like? Those two bubbles definitely took me longer. As in the first three were very easy to do within my own gift and my own, at that point, didn't have much, I didn't have the budget. So it was to do what we could without much, which all three of those top points are well within your gift. No matter where you sit, you can always sit and remap your customer journey. The bits underneath what I needed to do was almost win, have the right business cases to explain the need for a CS specific tech stack and why things like HubSpot that we had bought as sales and marketing wouldn't work for CS for the long run. So again, 
with that, that was really helpful. There's so many good resources out there, so many people that I could speak to. I have a mentor that had helped me talk to me about how he tried to hack HubSpot and it just didn't work. That in itself was a great argument to just give someone else and say, right, the reason we can't hack HubSpot is because this person's already been there, tried it, done it, you know of them, and it's not going to work. So it was really easy to explain it to the board. And then when we went out, it was wider than just necessarily the team at that point was doing everything from birth to death of the client and beyond. They were doing tickets, they were doing calls, they had everything as CSMs to do. For me, what I needed to carve out was the support element from the CSMs day to day. It was just taking them away from adding value. So by discussing that and demonstrating that look, the way that we were supporting clients, everything was going through HubSpot, just wasn't fit for scale and what we needed to achieve over the next year, almost mapping out how much more we would get as we continue to grow and, and demonstrating that carving out of support and what they would take off the CSMs, what the CSMs would be focused on. That enabled us to propose a tech stack that would work better for the team and also align into the different tech points that we have across the business. What we didn't want to lose sight of is having the right systems integrating and talking to each other. When you're scaling, this is the time to make those decisions and really think them through. So that was really important in terms of part of my proposal. But I'm very lucky to have a board that have seen what successful CS teams do and fully supported the need for its own platform, supported the need to carve out support and have my own support team, etc. So yeah, it, it helped a lot go through that. What was the tech stack that you recommended the board, by the way? What types of software did it include? You don't have to share names yeah. unless you want to recommend them. Yeah. So we've got things like we already have certain programs underneath like um, training programs. We already have systems in place to manage our risk. We already have systems in place to manage ourselves operationally. And WorkBuzz itself is a huge platform that we should be in 24-7. But for me, it was the piece around how we manage tickets and support. That on HubSpot, we didn't feel was necessarily going to take us to where we needed to be, having the right knowledge bases. Mm. So we chose another provider that could do the whole suite in a way that the support manager who we brought in had that final decision because she ultimately will make that change. She will embed it. And if it's a system she knows and loves, it will be great, which it has been. So very lucky in that stance. And then the other part was around having a CS platform for us. There is more to come around more to support than anyone else because support will need more just because in terms of dialing systems or whatever else we will need in, with time as we continue to scale. But for now, those were the two critical things that were, look, we need to improve these parts of the tech stack. So we still hinge into HubSpot and pieces like that. So demonstrating that we weren't ignoring that, but they would feed in. You basically invested in a more mature support ticketing system that can accommodate things that the existing one couldn't so that you can elevate the customer experience when they have some technical issues or questions. Exactly. And then you also invested in a customer success platform. When you did the voice of the customer and the community, was that part of your consideration for either a support platform or a CS solution platform? Yeah. So the voice of customer and community sits in our marketing team more than it necessarily sits with us, which is quite useful. They have a lot more content. They produce quite a lot. And because the way that we utilize our community isn't just about our current clients, it's about prospects, it's about others. So, so leaving it more open. The way that we really formed it, though, was, was looking at setting up a community, which the marketing team very much led, found the right software. Again, we've learned a lot through 
osmosis and learning from people that have been there, done that. So we've got some really good friends and, and people that mentor us from different organizations that have been through scale up journeys. So we were able to identify how best to launch community. But also the other thing that we did in tandem with that was launch a, a customer advisory board or two of those, which really two. Been- Yes. Most companies don't even do one. Tell me why (laughs) two. Who leads them? Is it customer success or marketing? No, it's... um so marketing organize it we are very much in attendance but the person that leads it is actually an, an XHRD from a project here called HS2 which is a huge infrastructure a project is that a person know. within your company then right no or so outside. yeah he was an ex client but consulting into us so what we found was that we believed that they would be more open and transparent with that external voice, somebody that was very seasoned in HR. He's amazing. So having that person to chair it could give that authority and understanding of exactly the challenges they were facing and the ability to share best practice in a way that we just can't as a work buzz ourselves. He's been in-house, he's been there, done that with you. So just a, a better relationship and, and better person to almost chair those meetings. Brilliant. Yeah, but we, we've all been very much involved with those um, customer advisory boards and, you know, right through our CEO and chairman, CTO, everyone wants to be there. What was your part? Because you put in VOC and community. What do you think your part and your contribution to that circle was, or your teams actually, even with the advisory board or anything that was related to this green circle that we're seeing here? More than anything, CS knows their clients better than anyone. We've got the depth of relationships. We know who our champions are, who our advocates are. It's our responsibility to make sure that marketing or the people that are arranging these events have those names and are inviting them and actively asking them to engage with content or contribute their case studies, etc. It's our role to almost identify our stars and say, please, please, please speak to these people and get them involved with everything that we're trying to do as a business, which obviously then adds more value to your own relationship as a CSM as well. So it's very much being the guide to find those stars. Your judge entry included benchmark between what was it when you just got the job and how things improved by the time you submitted the judge entry within a year's time. Is this something that you think was really helpful to you and communicated what you're doing and how successful you are? And if people say, I don't have data, what would you recommend? You've got to demonstrate your impact. And so what's wonderful about working in CS is is that at least you should have some kind of measurement, you know, whether it's revenue, whether it's the number of clients, whether it's NPS or or just how happy they are, whatever your, your ratings look like, you should have at least some base metric that you can start with and then look at how you would achieve a bit further but yeah it's it's really important to keep that front of mind and I think for me it was that was a big mindset shift around making sure that things were measurable and and keeping those on top of those numbers all the time knowing where you could potentially see a bit of risk and fallout and how you were going to make up the, the number back there was one point in the year where I thought there was no chance I would hit my net revenue target. I think it was 96% and I'd gone into the 80s. And I thought, there's no chance I can gain this back up. How do I pull these levers? And it was just then looking at the clients line by line, seeing what we could expand, what we could do, how many more seats we could get out of clients, what those renewals looked like, and just playing it out and mapping things. And yeah, it takes a lot of time in spreadsheets. 
not for everyone, but it, you can get a bit lost in numbers and then just practicing it and going for the ones that you really think you can do more with. So that really helped me just keeping that front of mind. 